so yeah, 2015, yeah, 2015 to 2016, like to the summer of 2016, I would say is probably like the last time I was like happy and healthy. Although I like I thought of myself as unhappy, like, but it was like the kind of minor angst that can be fixed that, you know, now I look back on almost nostalgically. Um, but I was like working in the woods in uh, central Vermont. I live in yeah northern Vermont, where actually Lyme is less endemic a little bit. Um, but working in the woods in central Vermont uh, for this one-man kind of organic tree nursery guy. And um, I remember he was like, there's a bunch of ticks around here. So, uh, you know, tuck in your pants to your socks and like spray, spray yourself down. And I did all of that. Um, and just, uh, you know, worked and did a long day of work. And then um, the next uh, the, it was, that was like on a Friday or something. And then the weekend I was just, uh, came down with just feeling like shit, like a fever and flu like symptoms. And I had nausea, but I wasn't even vomiting. It was just sort of like a gross feeling and delirium, intense delirium and stuff. And I, um, thought I must've like gotten something from my family. Um, like a bug or something. Uh, mm -hmm. I think before all of this, not only did I not like know about chronic illness, I didn't even think about Lyme much or the idea that it could produce chronic symptoms. Um, and so <laughs> um, I was just like kind of lying in bed, uh, you know, watching TV, uh, taking Tylenol or aspirin or whatever for a couple of days um, and pretty delirious. But I kind of think about this as, you know, the last time I experienced like a, a delirium that wasn't just like, um, it was almost like the last time I was healthy enough to uh, relish or even enjoy like, like an acute illness and kind of convalesce, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Just yeah. like, I actually remember distinctly having like some kind of productive lateral thinking while I was delirious that I, I was really like proud of having figured some theoretical problem out, even like wrote a song. Um, I think I watched that movie. Uh, what's that weird, like a uh, punk movie with Harry Dean Stanton as a like hobo and like the car, uh, repo man anyway yeah yeah <laughs> i watched yeah. that my dad was like oh you're like sick you gotta like watch this um you know and i was just like shivering and feeling like shitty but also like not not thinking my life was going to end um but it was kind of weird a little bit weird because I, you know my family hadn't actually had any bugs so i didn't know what was going on and i I think it's just cause I like didn't shower for like two days. And then I just like noticed this itching, um, on my chest or shoulder. And I like took my shirt off and I had this just like classic bullseye rash. 
And I was like, oh, fuck. Because I like vaguely knew Lyme was bad. And um, I went into the my primary care doctor and and I say all, all these caveats because uh, like I'll get into a little later and like, you know, there's all this like controversy around Lyme, but this was just like a clear cut Lyme diagnosis. There's no like, you know, specialty lab involved in it. It was just, I went to my primary care doctor. She looked at the rash, ran the blood work for whatever the standard CDC tests, two tiered tests were, you know, it was positive on both. Um, I got a month of doxycycline and, and that's an antibiotic. Oh yeah. It's just like a pretty, yeah. Mild standard oral antibiotic for, uh, Lyme and um, <clears throat> I took whatever the course was a little less than a month and it did kind of clear up the initial symptoms like the acute illness and the the weird thing was that like after that I wasn't like immediately ill but at the same time it was like like I wasn't immediately chronically ill but at the same time it was like a turning point where after that, my body sort of started to decline. And I think of it as a really clear demarcation, um, even mm-hmm. though the decline after that was gradual, because I never got back to that point of health. Um, it's, it's like sort of like life before that and life after. Um, and say again what, what um, the date was approximately. I don't, I have a hard time, um, remembering the exact month. It might've been like July, 2016. Um, I had been working for this guy, like for all of late spring and early summer. And it was kind of fun, although he was a crank and I was making good money. And, um, (laughs) and I had been doing like a decent amount of productive stuff that summer. And I think that you know, I may have like after that, yeah, July or August, uh, 2016, definitely. And then, um, uh, what basically happened was it wasn't like overnight. I like the acute symptoms, like the flu, uh, like, uh, illness, the fever, uh, and all of that and aches, um, cleared up with the antibiotics. It wasn't like, I don't, think it was like catching it too late I just think it's like um and then I returned to Hampshire um I returned to college that uh fall in like September and um I just started to have I started to have abnormal like reactions to some of my medications that I'd like um taken without side effects for years like stimulant medication for ADD started to like make me feel wired and awful. Um, I started to have like intense, intense insomnia. Those were like the first symptoms. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, and then I started to have just like, before I got overwhelming, like bodily fatigue, like I have now, um, I got just like really intense, um, 
I mean, people call it brain fog, but it does actually like literally feel like you're walking through like a cloud or like some kind of fog like that intense. And this is in probably like over the course of like September and early October of 2016 when I had returned to Hampshire for not quite my last year because it's a semester off, but like um, almost my last year. And so since I had no idea about like chronic complications or illness with Lyme, I mean, I think I'd vaguely heard of it, but I was fairly healthy and we'd caught it in time. So I didn't think that was um, when that, when those symptoms sort of like started to return in September and October, I just assumed I got bit again, like, cause it felt like exactly the same as the acute symptoms. Um, yeah. and, and it's very common in new England. You can just get bit any time. Really. Yeah, exactly. It's probably more common in Western mass than in, uh, Northern Vermont, but yeah. Um, and so I was just like, damn, well, I didn't find a bite, but I just, this sucks. I was like, like losing everything. And it was kind of tragicomical. I mean, it was like, it was just wild how intense my brain fog was. And I went to an urgent care in Northampton and just got the blood work. And again, not like specialty, you know, weird uh, labs that people might think of as quack labs just like regular blood work and it came back uh positive which um and so they referred they prescribed antibiotics but referred me to an infectious disease doctor at coley dickinson um but i was taking the antibiotics and they didn't really help this time and um and I finished the course and then went to this doctor and this guy was intense. He was kind of really arrogant actually. Um, and he didn't tell me I was, um, a hysteric, but he did tell me that, um, that the labs were only positive because if you've had Lyme in the past, you still have the antibodies for <clears throat> some amount of time. And that, the urgent care had made a mistake by um, giving me antibiotic for their antibiotics and that um, there's no such thing as chronic Lyme and that that's just total uh, quackery and that I have post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, which he sort of explained as being similar to fibromyalgia involving like pain, brain fog and fatigue. And like, um, gave me some printout about like meds to treat it. Some of them are like, some of them that are standardly used are like psych meds, but I don't think I really made this connection that this was thought of as hysteria. I mean, probably because, you know, I wasn't familiar with the whole political landscape or whatever. Um, what I'm talking about is he gave me like a, a sheet that talked about all the different meds they can try for gotcha. post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. And I didn't actually do the um, psych meds, but those were on there like SNRIs or SSRIs, mm-hmm. um, which are sometimes used in fibro. Um, 
and then also like some like muscle relaxants um uh and certain kinds of like pain meds and meds that like block nerve signals like um gabapentin and i think um what he so we ended up just like landing on doing further blood work to look for other stuff but basically uh just taking a bunch of gabapentin and it helped some with insomnia it didn't really help with the brain fog um but like i was just kind of trying to make it through um school and i you know sort of just trusted the medical profession to eventually figure this out and so we did that um we talked about if things got worse you know maybe a referral to a neurologist or something but you know the gabapentin just helped a little bit with insomnia which had gotten like really bad like i would not sleep for days sometimes and that you know was bad while having coursework and stuff um Mm -hmm. and it and at that point i didn't have pain i mean now i have intense pain but at that stage of being ill but i had like really sort of acute discomfort that was hard to define and i think that made it like even harder to get anything helpful out of the doctor it like i had these sensations almost like my brain was on fire and like almost like the feeling of restless legs like restless legs but like in other parts of my body or in my like head um gabapentin made like a small dent in that but like i was still kind of deteriorating and going insane but i was just kind of assuming to some extent that you know this guy knew what he's doing and maybe hopefully this maybe this was denial but also thinking maybe the symptoms would just go away And so things went kind of slowly and I went to school for like the next semester and um, deteriorated more um, in spring semester, like a lot cognitively, especially um, by the end of the semester, I was like a wreck. I mean, I managed to uh, do a lot of my coursework, but like, also while doing almost nothing else, um, like, and, you know, insanely disorganized. Um, my mind was just like, uh, totally scattered. Like my, um, and like my cognition was just falling apart in ways that were like really scary. Uh, you know, and like I said, my body's just started to like reject, you know, medications I'd been taking for years or whatever, like, um, and, um, and yet like this doctor was just kind of like, well, your blood work is good. And I've tried everything, you know, 
I know how to try. Um, you know, when I went back and said, well, you know, the gabapentin helped with sleep some, but like I'm a rack really. And so essentially, um, he, he was like, well, I, I don't know what else to do. I mean, he hadn't even tried that many things, but like, he was like, you know, um, I'm an infectious disease doctor. This is not an ongoing infection. Um, he made sure to like say that a lot. Um, you know, it's, and these chronic symptoms, I don't know how to deal with them. Um, and so I kind of like, what happened then was like, I just, um, I went home for the summer and I had this vague idea that, you know, it's weird because just not knowing anything about this, I made the same assumptions, like a lot of doctors wrongly make. I just like assumed I could push through, like I even tried like really intense exercise regimens, but they would just like make me worse. Um, I started to have like, uh, fatigue and like some heart symptoms on top of the insane brain fog and insomnia. And, um, so I like got to, uh, the end of spring semester 2017. And I was just like a total wreck and had like, uh, like I barely finished that year. Um, and I had no idea what to do like medically. Um, because How do you, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Did you, no, no, did you talk to any of the, did you talk to any of your professors at Hampshire about what you were dealing with at the time? Well, my, um, two advisors were Claudia and Alasco, um, the photo dude and <laughs> Dan Warner. And I don't know if you know Dan, but he's I know. Yeah. Uh, incredibly depressed and apathetic. And mm-hmm. so if I talked to him about having any issues, he would just be like, um, okay, do less work. <laughs> I mean, he, he wasn't like invested, you know, deeply in me. But I mean, the only time I've seen that man's li- eyes light up was when I brought in actually um, a kitten uh, to a meeting with him. <laughs> he really loves uh, kittens. Um, and when I had my kitten at Hampshire briefly before I brought her to Vermont, um, I just brought her into a meeting with him and he just like spent the whole time ignoring what I was saying and like uh, dragging a laptop cord around for her to chase. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a deeply depressed and apathetic man. Um mm-hmm. And maybe it's in the air there. <laughs> um, sure. But, and then Claudio, so I guess, I mean, it's not even their fault because the way I sort of framed it was like, um, I kind of thought it was just stress. Although it's weird because I'd been s- subject to all the same stresses my entire life and I hadn't had anything like this sort of happen. Um, so I, the way I framed it, you know, Claudio would be like, mad that I missed a meeting and I'd be like, I, I can't sleep for days. Like things are really messed up. Um, my stress is really intense. And, um, he ended up being like, yeah, I'm really concerned about, you know, your stress. Maybe you need to take time off. 
And so I just, you know, sort of handed them the framing of it being stress anyway, because I sort of assumed and hoped mm-hmm. that's what it was, because that's solvable. I mean, um, yeah. and it also fit more into like my, my, uh, mental schema of what the world was like. Like I had, you know, I read this when I had really bad insomnia, I read this, you know, like critical theory book on late capitalism and the end of sleep or whatever. And I was like, Oh, it's like, um, I mean, it did talk a little bit about like light pollution, but it also had like the implication that a lot of things were just due to overwork, but which in my case, like turned out to not be the problems, like not really just standard stress or overwork, but so the idea that it was stress like fit into um, my ideas of like how things worked. Um, I just, I didn't think people just got illnesses that doctors didn't know how to solve and lived for a while with them. Like I, I could conceive of the idea of like someone getting an, a rare disease, like neurodegenerative, like ALS or something, and then eventually dying. But I didn't know that you could just go to a doctor and they would just, um, run a few tests and say, I don't know what's wrong with you and then not do anything. Um, and that that could kind of happen for months or even years, um, or even decades, not in my case, but like for a lot of people. Um, so like I, all of that. And I, I went home for the summer, um, thinking that just like, resting um would help um by by the way a quick note do you um do my levels still sound yeah i mean i'm not monitoring any levels but no i mean the sound yeah the volume has been consistent yeah okay yeah um so like i went home i actually applied for a summer job that would have been great if I was healthy but I literally just realized like at the Putney school teaching some art class Mm -hmm. in the summer when I was there I just like realized how much of a wreck I was like they were saying like I I couldn't even sleep um I didn't and like I didn't think I could handle like a full week of work like the only way I managed to handle my work at Hampshire was to not do anything besides it really i mean like not much of a social life and working on my own schedule like if i had insomnia i would stay up typing um or you know and i didn't even have like a normal course load because um it was my like the beginning of my div three uh uh, yeah senior thesis so um so I could not, I realized I like couldn't handle like a regular full-time job, like when I was applying for it and they were like, Oh, you have to like play volleyball with the kids. And I was like, um, I was like, I can barely like handle this interview, even the, you know, like, uh, managing to try and get sleep and wake up for the interview, all of this, like, the nightmare and so it's just like wow i guess i just need to like rest at home and i and i you know around then started thinking you know what if it is really like 
chronic Lyme. Like that one doctor had drilled into my head this idea that it was, you know, that there's, it wasn't. And he also had such confidence about like, uh, he didn't say this, but just got the idea from him that this post-treatment symptoms was not a big deal. He said it could be inflammation or the immune system. So I'm still not sure whether he really, you know, thought it was hysteria, you know, somewhere in the middle there. I think he just, but he definitely was super adamant that it was not caused by like an active infection. Mm -hmm. Really, really adamant about that. Um, And, um, but at the same time, seemingly confident that it wasn't a big deal. I mean, he didn't, it wasn't like, I have to break this bad news, dude. You have post-treatment Lyme disease, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, like, oh, there's this, you know, like minor complication and, you know, we'll prescribe some meds for the symptoms. Um, and so, but yeah, in the, the summer of 2017, I just started to delve into like, what the fuck is wrong? I mean, and research... And I think at the same time, um, I was having, um, trouble. I was having like more and more fatigue or maybe it was just that I was like kept trying to exercise. I mean, as as a kid, I was like, I didn't always keep up with this at Hampshire, even when I was healthy, but or even pre-Lyme, but as a kid, I was a distance runner. And so one of the things I liked to do to solve almost any problem was just like go on a run. Um, so I kind of over that spring and summer tried to do that. And then I did like, you know, part-time work. My parents were upset that I didn't take the Putney job. Um, so I tried to make a little bit of money just doing like part-time like yard work, but I get like sometimes exhausted after even like three or four hours of like, you know, picking up stuff around the garden. Um, and I sort of went back to like my primary care doctor in, um, actually in New Hampshire, not Vermont. And, um, just cause she's, I had been going to that practice for a while as a kid. Um, so, but yeah, went back to my primary care doctor and she, um, actually, she basically had nothing to offer me, but she did like look at whatever recommendation sheet that other doctor had put in my chart and gave me like a, a mild anti-inflammatory low dose naltrexone. Um, but anyway, like the point is, I mean, the, she, she also didn't say it was hysteria or anything, but she, or she really didn't seem to have much idea of what was going on. And that like, that was starting to disturb me as a pattern, just like going to doctors and like, just, um, didn't matter to me that they weren't like outright hostile. It was more like, 
I'm doing really poorly for a long time and starting to not be able to cope with um, that and so continued doctor's visits where they just like don't know what's up um, just started to like really bother me um, but did you did you ever consider that it was some kind of purely psychological well yeah malady at that point I mean I think I didn't like have uh, there was like a point in the prior spring where like I was just having a really bad um, day and my brain like felt like it was on fire and stuff and it's just like I thought about like going to the ER and like checking myself into a psych ward or something because it felt like an emergency but it wasn't like my vitals were fucked up or like I was passing out so it's just like when I thought about it I was like well maybe I just like literally have psychosis because it's just like what is wrong with my like brain it's and then also but I also didn't think of stress in terms of like necessarily it just being psychological i thought maybe i just you know i'm overworked and that's why but then it became evident that i wasn't like doing much work and i wasn't in any more stress than i'd been like the most of my life and yet i still had all these symptoms and they were considerable not going away so i i I basically, yeah, I considered that um, a lot. I thought that I I also considered, um, yeah, I don't know if I ever like asked myself the question, is this just sheerly psychosomatic? It was more like um, I tried to push through it in various ways that um, were based on that theory. Like I exercised really hard thinking maybe I was just deconditioned like I and um and then I just like um you know I think that summer like I just like um did a couple like really hard runs and then I just like didn't sleep for like a day after each one of them like it felt like a ton of just like systemic inflammation or so yeah, it, it was less like asking myself that question out loud or like literally and more just like trying to push through based on that implicit assumption. Uh-huh. Like thinking, um, it's stress and I should do normal healthy things like exercise. And, and then I guess like, um, At, at some point, like at some length of time or whatever, um, after all of this had been happening, that just didn't seem as plausible to me. Cause I was like, well, you know, um, it's one thing to be stressed and have it like cause a panic attack. It's another thing for your body to be just like falling apart, essentially in cognition for this song. Like I, at some points the cognition stuff, and some coordination stuff was bad enough that like 
um, I actually thought I might have like a serious neurodegenerative disease, just like dropping things, um, forgetting basic stuff. Um, and like, I think I finally got an MRI and it was like negative for like MS or whatever. Um, and so basically over the course of that summer, I kind of just like kept going to primary care doctors for, um, these symptoms to my primary care doctor um, for these symptoms and like um, getting basically nothing back and going for a few sort of routine tests like MRI, et cetera. Um, and, um, and my parents were like, I think you should go back to school. Um, and they sort of talked about, you know, I just needed to, have like a routine or something. I think it was like sort of evident that they thought this was like depression or lifestyle, you know, spending too much time in my room or whatever. And, um, but I just, I didn't go back in the fall because like my brain just really did feel like, um, such mush. And I really wanted my health to be better. Like I really started to realize this was like a major problem um, in the like late summer and fall. And that's like when I, I think over that late summer 2017 is when I just like started researching a lot more on my own. And that's when I started kind of realizing these major sort of political controversies around illnesses like this. Um, like just to start off with like Lyme, like the, the controversy of whether the chronic symptoms are caused by an ongoing infection, um, or, um, whether, um, they're just like caused by inflammation, autoimmunity or psychosomatic. Um, that is like a huge, like really politically charged, uh, sort of controversy. Um, I mean, as, as you know, I think like we've talked about this before and I think you said that, um, like, uh, you knew about this a little because Lauren's father is a doctor. Um, he, he's not a doctor, but he, he has, uh, gotten Lyme is acquired Lyme disease, so to speak, at least for separate times, but it's never been considered as like an ongoing disease. As far as I can tell, it's, it's individual circumstances of him. He, he works as an environmental consultant. So he's out in the fields, um, you know, doing field work, whatever that is, but has gotten bitten by ticks numerous times and yeah, been, been diagnosed with Lyme disease after specific events of infection. Um, they've always been considered as sort of individual events, I guess. Yeah. Not, not sort of cumulative compounding events. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, well, yeah, I guess I 
about that he was a doctor, but I do remember talking about the controversy a while back. And it is like, just like a lot to navigate because it's like, um, if you get really fucking sick after a infection and those symptoms just don't leave and you try, you know, um, I mean like I'd, uh, you know, done a lot of the things I would do to manage it if it was, you know, stress or psychological and they didn't work. Um, you try like everything, um, and, or like everything offered to you. Um, and you're told that this is not an ongoing infection, but your bodies and mind are kind of just like falling apart. I mean, at some point, um, you just kind of wonder if, you know, the entire medical establishment is totally wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, it's not like there are no doctors and I'm not, I'm not even talking about alternative medicine, but it's not like there are no doctors that believe in, um, chronic Lyme actually. It's interesting. They're like, um, it, it seems like more and more people are starting to accept that there are chronic symptoms after an acute Lyme infection. Um, and starting to like, I read, you know, uh, articles in popular science magazines about like, you know, maybe, uh, why do people have these chronic symptoms, this discovery of like inflammation and brain scans. But, um, yeah, when, what I mean is like, it's, it's just like, um, that summer I started to like wade into the controversy and then, you know, like a friend of a friend told me it, it's don't listen to that infectious disease doctor. It's definitely chronic infection. You need like IV antibiotics, etc. And then, um, I, and then, uh, I talked to like a family friend who was a doctor, um, or a nurse practitioner and asked her what she thought of that. I was like, is this crazy? Is that cracker? And she's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like that's the interest. Like, I mean, this is like, um, yeah. And so, and then I, so I just started to like research obsessively on my own. And one thing I sort of noticed is that it seemed like there is this, uh, entity called chronic fatigue syndrome, like this disease. And it seemed like pretty similar, um, symptoms. And, uh, there was like, and I was like, well, why isn't this just the same thing? And it, in most cases, it seemed like people have this after like a virus, like, like they get mono and they get this or whatever, but that's the only difference they could see is like, I got this after a bacteria and most of the people with this other mysterious illness get there like after a virus. Um, and I also just found like, luckily because there's like also a lot of controversy in that arena, it, I found some of the like publications about the recent science on this disease, chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, uh, and, um, it just seemed like there's a little bit more solid science around 
supporting the idea that there was like a post-infectious syndrome that was maybe autoimmune or inflammatory or metabolic and that it wasn't necessarily caused by um, an ongoing infection. I mean, I really wanted the ongoing infection thing to be true because it would be so easy, so much easier to treat theoretically, like just blast antibiotics. But um, when I read like a lot of the studies um, on treating post-treatment Lyme symptoms with antibiotics, a lot of them had poor outcomes. Like, a, like maybe one or two of them had positive outcomes, but there is also the suggestion that antibiotics also just have anti-inflammatory effects. And so that's not necessarily proof of an ongoing infection. You know, they, they could just lower brain glutamate or um, have broad anti-inflammatory effects that then go away after you stop them and explains why like when you go in chronic Lyme groups or people are on um, antibiotics for like years at a time, almost no one seems to be getting better from this over like, but they do kind of get immediate benefit, like somewhat beneficial effects from the antibiotics, but then they stop and then they like relapse or whatever. So, um, I started, I guess, yeah, sorry. I guess it's important to note that one can't just take antibiotics forever. That's yeah. That's not a sustainable (laughs) medical treatment. Uh, uh, regimen it's yeah it's not a long-term solution it's it's very much especially in this case a a short-term band-aid sort of effect and i mean like a there there's always cost benefit in medicine but like you know i suppose if you did have like a intense uh drug resistant bacteria like you know, some doctor might decide to have you on antibiotics for long periods of time, despite the side effects. But like, this is like a cost benefit analysis where the benefit seems extremely like vague and Mm -hmm. the costs are fairly like obvious and well-known, but like I, so after all this research, I kind of decided, I thought that this is basically the same as, chronic fatigue syndrome, which um, kind of to my horror, but uh, was also poorly understood and didn't have a cure. Like I think, um, but I also just sort of knew that this was like, not this thing that you can just fix with antibiotics, I think intuitively, despite what a few people had told me. and I saw like some of the summaries about this research being done at Stanford um, that wasn't about, you know, it didn't depict it as a psychosomatic condition. In fact, it's by this, this Stanford geneticist whose son got really, really dreadfully ill with this. I mean, he's known as like the sickest MECFS. Uh, that's another acronym 
people call it chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalomyelitis. So the compromise is ME-CFS, like ME slash CFS. But um, he's known, this guy's son is known as the sickest um, patient. It's just like horrifying. He uh, is so sensitive to sound and like smells and like lots of sensory things. His parents can't even cook in the house um gets to wear like heavy uh like uh duty earplugs or earmuffs if someone comes in um the room and he like basically is bedridden um tube fed can't talk um and so but i looked at all of this and i was like um and yeah, and this guy's father obviously got into the field because um, he's so sick, uh, because his son was so sick. Uh, Ron Davis, um, and his son, his name is Whitney Defoe. And so I was like, well, mainstream institutions are researching like chronic fatigue syndrome or MECFS. And so, you know, they know a little bit about it. And I'd rather accept like, something scientific but somewhat uncertain then um then get into this whole uh uh like worlds around chronic Lyme where it just seems like really um murky but at the same time the doc you know the doctors are so confident about like blasting people with um antibiotics despite it being like against yeah so i i felt better with better and worse worse because it seemed like i'd have to accept like ambiguity with that diagnosis um better in that it seemed to make more sense with the diagnosis of um MECFS or chronic fatigue syndrome. And I start to look into like specialist doctors that treat that. And um, there's actually like a, an integrative medicine clinic in Northampton. I scheduled an appointment with like that fall. And then I scheduled an appointment with one of the few like MECFS uh, specialists in the country um in new york city in that december december of 2017 and so i went i got I kind of got two opinions i went to the integrative medicine people in northampton and they were like oh it's chronic lyme got a blast with antibiotics um <laughs> and we'll give you some herbs too or something but they did to their credit and this is the interesting thing like I don't think it's as simple as like a doctor is a quack or they're a legitimate doctor. They did blood work, which uh, was actually semi helpful diagnostically, like it showed immune abnormalities. I just don't think mm -hmm. their solutions were correct. And then I went. What, to, what were the herbs that they gave you? Actually, I mean, they just they said that if we went that that course, I'd have to do herbs and i so I, they 
they didn't prescribe me anything like immediately. They basically sort of, I think gave me like a printout of what they do for herbs and then they prescribe the antibiotics. Um, okay. And, um, and I, and so, but I had these appointments like fairly close to each other. So I didn't feel like I had to start their treatment until I got like a, an opinion from the MECFS, like chronic fatigue syndrome doctor, um, in New York. So I went to New York city, um, and I felt like this doctor, um, the first doctor that I both felt like was definitely not a quack and, um, really, uh, knew a lot about this illness or illnesses. Um, she did like a ton of blood work. Um, she was very sympathetic. She's, you know, asked me lots of questions about my symptoms. I mean, it, it does end up being a clinical diagnosis. There's not a single test, but the blood work is looking for things like, um, viral antibodies, uh, it, immune abnormalities, um, especially. And I think, I think that was like, um, and like allergic or inflammatory markers like histamine and things related to that. And so, um, yeah. And she miraculously like took my insurance, which a lot of specialists like in this field don't. And it's, you know, I almost kind of get it. If you delve into the history of all of this, like insurance companies hate paying out like money for experimental, um, expensive treatments, like immunoglobulin or like tons of diagnostic labs. I don't know. So mm -hmm. a lot of doctors have just thrown up their hands with the idea of taking insurance for this illness. But, um, anyway, so she did all these labs. She diagnosed me with, um, MECFS. Um, and she also in reference to like the Lyme and what the previous doctors had said, she said, I don't think you have a chronic infection of Lyme, but it wouldn't be an unreasonable idea to just try say a month of really like blasting this with some different antibiotics. Um, which I thought was like kind of interesting cause it's like the first doctor I'd heard express any level of like ambiguity, um, any like comfortability with ambiguity. Like before that I either had doctors that were like, there's no such thing as chronic Lyme infection or there absolutely is. And she was like, I, I don't think your symptoms are caused by that, but we could try like a, a month of, um, amoxicillin plus this other, um, antibiotic. And, you know, if you just really like want to be sure we've tried everything and try that, but, and, <laughs> um, prescribe those, but she, uh, also, um, prescribed antivirals because those are a little like more commonly implicated, um, like 
especially like herpes viruses or like Epstein-Barr in um, ME-CFS. And, um, and she, I just, um, and she also found all these immune abnormalities, like low immunoglobulin to the extent where we talked about me maybe eventually qualifying for intravenous immunoglobulin, um, which is a treatment used a lot in like mainstream medicine, both for disorders where you have low immunity and um, for autoimmunity. It's like almost like a, like a um, immunological like voodoo almost like they don't, it works for like both <laughs> like uh, those seemingly very opposite conditions dose dependent um anyway so i i don't know i like and the antibiotics didn't work made me feel worse um and the antivirals didn't work i did that for like four or five months i mean and so you know i that whole period it was just like sort of like starting to come to terms with the idea that I had an actual chronic illness that might not be like easily fixable. And I, but I felt in better hands with a doctor who actually like didn't seem like um, a quack, but seemed invested in solving these puzzles. Um, to an extent, I and mean, she's a researcher too, MD, PhD, um, uh, and and like a board certified immunologist and allergist and infectious disease doctor. So not not really like going to a naturopath, which yeah made me feel a little better about like I don't know. I just didn't feel like comfortable with like staking everything on uh like alternative medicine or whatever i yeah i think it uh illustrates some uh sort of ingrained resistance to uh you know maybe envisioning the worst possible uh diagnosis which is a, a wholly ambiguous one wherein there's a there's a parallel between wanting to exhaust all the basic medical options um, in terms of treatment and also wanting to exhaust all the basic medical options in terms of diagnosis. Yeah. Like it's like what I sort of ended up learning is, well, I think that, I mean, what you're saying is like actually kind of why I, thought this diagnosis made more sense is cause I almost like Murphy's law or whatever. Like I kind of assumed yeah. that the worst would be true. And it seemed to make more sense that these symptoms, which no doctor had been able to treat were like, um, part of, uh, more, uh, murky or ambiguous, like syndrome rather than just like something that you could, easily fix with antibiotics because I sort of figured if it was that easy to fix like um 
I don't it know. would have happened already or something. Yeah. More people would yeah. be just like raving. I mean, and some people are, but like they, it's so mixed, like the results. Yeah. It would be like, I mean, when you get into how many, how many people suffer with uh, this stuff and like how bad it is, like, yeah, people would make, it would, it wouldn't be a secret if there was like a really, if there was a doctor that can just fix this easily, it would be, you know, everyone in the country would be flocking there. They'd sell, they'd mortgage their houses. Like, you know, um, yeah. And so it wouldn't be, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, my bad. What, what were you? No, I was going to say they wouldn't be, like exhausting any savings accounts they might have to find a doctor. They would be, like you said, mortgaging their houses to pay for the treatment. Yeah. They would do anything it takes. Um, and, um, so, I mean, but, you know, so I started to, and the, the, the weird thing was she almost like was, did that like thing that, you know, in movies oncologists do about <laughs> just like breaking bad news to you. Like it for anyone that not familiar subjectively with how much this disease sucks, the idea that a non-terminal illness like this, especially called something as diminutive as chronic fatigue syndrome would be like terrible news to learn that you have it, um, that it wouldn't make sense. But once you're familiar with it and she was like yeah i'm sorry there's like you know we'll try we'll we'll try um try some stuff this her spiel was like you know i'm really sorry you have this um i think you have this um and we'll try some stuff there's no cure um essentially (laughs) and and she she i think she said most people can get somewhat better with some treatments which might even be a little overly optimistic, but she wasn't like selling like cure-alls here. She wasn't like my herbs. Mm -hmm. No, you'll be a hundred percent if you just take this course of herbs. And it's like, yeah, she was like, um, kind of blunt and apologetic about this diagnosis and the limitations of what she could do. And, um, so, you know, after like five months of antivirals, I, I went back. Um, I'd maybe. Oh, I'm sorry. And during, during when you were taking antivirals and antibiotics, were your symptoms, um, I guess, uh, uh, accelerating or were they in stasis, just not getting better? I think it was mostly stasis and then I don't think the antivirals were responsible for it at all, but I think I did get a little like worse in, um, the like, uh, spring of 2018. I don't think it was the antivirals. I think it was just like disease progression or possibly the like mysterious environmental factors that I'll get into later. But it was like, so yeah, I, if anything, I just got a little bit worse. The antibiotics are kind of ditched quickly because they just like um, essentially immediately started making me feel like shit. And, but then the antivirals, which I was on for like 
five months. Something I think it was like Valtrex. Yeah, it's like something people take for um, uh, herpes. Um, but it also is, I think, has activity against Epstein-Barr. It's like the monovirus. Um, so yeah, I did all of that. I mean, she did like do some phone consults and prescribe like some lab work. Um, and I did a sleep study in that time, which basically came back negative and, a, and, um, and yeah, so that's basically like negative for any problems despite having terrible sleep. Um, so kind of ruled that out and then, and kept taking, uh, uh, the mild anti-inflammatory on and off low-dose naltrexone that helped a little, but nothing dramatic and, and kept kind of, at this point, I was just like fully into researching on my own because I like, she did, she basically did say there wasn't a cure and I like could not accept that. So at this point I was like, not, counting on a doctor to solve it. I mean, I thought she would help, but, um, I was like going on forums for this illness. I was looking at the most recent like research. Um, uh, and, um, just like tried teaching myself cellular biology, which, um, you know, I had a lot of motivation, but it's hard to, learn a lot when you're that sick. I mean, cause the thing is the basic feature of like, um, this disease is not fatigue. It's an abnormal response to exertion. It's like the opposite of like a lot of life experience and common sense. Um, you know, normally we think of exercise as like a panacea, but like any, like lots, you just crash after exertion. It's like a dynamic problem. You, you get worse when you exert yourself, you get worse even when you cognitively exert yourself. And, um, so like you're told if you have like a good doctor, um, to rest and pace yourself and there isn't really like, and you can't like exercise your way out of it. Um, so during that time, I was just like pouring, uh, getting like deep into like researching this. Um, it was like learning about how some researchers thought it was um, a hypometabolic disease, like, um, and how there's you know, evidence of inflammation and abnormal immune activation. And, um, I think there's like a little bit of naive hope there because it's just like you read that, you know, a Stanford scientist is researching this and you read their research in good journals and you think, Oh, well, this is, there's serious research being done, but like, it's, as I started to learn, it's just like, so in its infancy due to like underfunding and, um, and so it's just not like you can easily extrapolate any treatments from research, but you know, I 
seriously, seriously could not accept the idea of just like living with this. So I researched anyway. And I, so I spent like, you know, some of my time just like watching movies or gaming, listening to music, but a lot of it just literally doing almost nothing but reading research um, and reading people's accounts of like anecdotal improvements from different treatments on forums, etc. And I think around this time, I like, I also watched the movie Unrest by Jennifer Brea, which is like one of the only um, semi-well-known films about this illness, a documentary. Um, and it was well-made, but also, you know, not, not very hopeful. Like it didn't end with any kind of uh, miracle cure or anything. Um, it was just, it basically gave me a little bit of context to like how severe this can be and how there's not much, like there's a scene similar to when I went to my doctor in, in that movie where she just goes to this uh, doctor who's a researcher and one of the few specialists and he says, um, yeah, most people, like if they're going to, um, if they're going to recover from this, most people do it within uh, the first three or five years, maybe, I think. Like if, and we haven't seen the disease course like reverse after that and like starts crying because it's been longer than that. It's just very blunt. And so like, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of detail, but I went back this doctor um, and she found some like blood pressure and uh, like heart rate abnormalities. A lot of them associated with, changes from like standing to sitting and yeah there's this issue related to this disease called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome where um based on your posture uh like standing or sitting you uh like your heart races it accelerates an abnormal amount like over 40 beats per minute or something going from sitting to standing or going from supine to standing. Um, and it's also associated with, um, not getting like enough blood flow to the brain and, and just low overall blood volume. Um, and so like, uh, she ran tests related to that and like, blood volume and prescribed um, beta blockers for the blood pressure and um, IV saline for this blood volume and postural um, issue. And we stopped the antivirals because they really hadn't made a difference. And I didn't seem to be having like acute signs of viral activation, no cold sores or swollen lymph nodes. Um, um, but so at that point, I was definitely starting to get like pretty damn frustrated. I mean, I'd been out of school for like a whole year and it was surreal to just, I think I basically in a lot of ways lost touch with most of anyone from Hampshire and uh, um, 
part of that was a lot of that some of that was my own doing to the extent that I just like I thought of this as a problem that was a puzzle that I'd solve and you know maybe in conjunction with a good doctor and I'd get better and then I'd go back to school I wanted to compartmentalize those parts of my life I didn't want to like mm-hmm. you know interact with you know friends from my old life while I was uh, basically not able to do anything to the extent that I was before like not able to really be a good artist or musician because I and just like convalescing I don't know and um, yeah like so just you know denial uh, acceptance but all those stages of grief or whatever is sort of like something you, when you're sick for this song you like do over and over again out of order um, uh, like I sort of <laughs> accepted yeah. the scientific reality but to this day i've not accepted like the idea that i'll never be um better which is the i mean it's possible certainly to find experimental treatments that work and it i think i may have um but the basic uh, you know, like the CDC says, like any doctor competent in this would say is there's no cure. Um, so yeah. And not even just, there's no cure. There's not a single FDA approved treatment. Like, yeah, there's no cure for lupus, mm-hmm. but there are meds for lupus. Um, there's yeah. no cure for diabetes, but you can take insulin. Um, but yeah, there's not a, yeah. So I, I, over the next summer, I, you know, just kept researching and dealing with the denial and shittiness and uh, doing these saline treatments, which, like, I was so skeptical of at first because I was like, how the fuck is um, saline going to treat, like, a serious illness? But I would feel, like, I would feel able to, like, stand up without, like, dizziness or my heart racing and just, like, I would feel like I thought a lot better like my brain worked a lot better and just like everything for four or five hours after these infusions so um i kind of got into like a comfortable routine of doing that twice a week and um on my own besides just like listening to music and trying to keep myself from going insane i also just just like kept doing a lot of research and i experimented with various like supplements for metabolic problems um uh, thyroid hormone stuff like this that's related to metabolism and um and i you know like i had a poster of like cellular respiration up on my wall even though for my whole life i've been like a humanities person who hated anything to do with STEM. I just wanted to like solve this puzzle so desperately. Like I, you know, just thought, you know, maybe if I looked at that every day, I'd think of like something that Stanford scientists haven't been able to think of 